Welcome to Amici, News and Insights from the New York Courts. I'm John Carr. Today we have a special diversity dialogue program featuring two guests in a particularly timely topic. We're joined by Inspector General Cheryl Spatz and Kay Ann Porter-Campbell, Managing Inspector General for Bias Matters. On the very day that George Floyd, an African-American man killed by a police officer in Minneapolis, was buried, Chief Judge Janet DeFiori ordered an independent review of the court system's response to issues of institutional racism. She appointed Distinguished Attorney Jay Johnson to lead that review and directed the panel to conduct a no-stone-left-unturned analysis. After an in-depth inquiry, the Johnson panel issued a wide range of recommendations to ensure equal justice. One of the recommendations, which was immediately embraced by the chief judge, calls for a zero, zero tolerance policy with regard to discrimination. That potentially involves the Office of the Inspector General. So Cheryl and Kayanne have kindly agreed to chat with us today about the office, its broad role, and its role in implementing the recommendations of the Johnson panel. Cheryl, KN, welcome to the program. Uh, Cheryl, if you could, would you start off just by telling me what exactly the IG's office is and maybe something about your background and how you ended up in this position? Yes, sure. And John, thank you so much for arranging this podcast for KN and I. My pleasure. Uh, so the Office of the Inspector General, which also includes the audit staff, but that's not the focus of today's conversation, is an office that has statewide jurisdiction to investigate allegations of misconduct and fraud, criminal activity, conflicts of interest by court employees and persons or corporations doing business in the courts. So sort of the way we look at it is it's our house and we need to make sure that everything is operating smoothly. So, for example, KAN once did an investigation involving two attorneys in private practice who were having a conference in uh, a judge's chambers, and one made an allegation against the other. So even though those people were not court employees, we still had jurisdiction to investigate. The Office of the Inspector General has three parts. One of them is the general investigatory part. The other is KN's part, which is the bias matters part. And we also investigate allegations of misconduct by court, appoint, uh, court appointees who handle fiduciary matters. And, and so, how, how, how large is your staff? Um, much smaller than all of our chores would result in. We have um, four attorneys, and um, we have five investigators now, and two support people. And, and what is your background? I've been with the court since Valentine's Day 2000, mm -hmm. and um, I came in originally to be the Special Inspector General for Fiduciary Appointments. So the first couple of years, we did a large investigation into fiduciary appointments, and thereafter, I became the Inspector General. Before that, after law school, I was in private practice for a couple of years, and then I spent about a decade at the Manhattan DA's office 
in the Appeals Bureau, and I did sex crimes, and I also did white-collar crime investigations. From there, I went to the New York Stock Exchange Enforcement Division and spent about five years investigating securities fraud. Oh, wow. Now, Kayanne, I believe you also have a uh, public service background. And what, what's your story, and what's the story of, of the office that you run? Okay, so thanks again, John, for inviting us um, to, you know, expand our presence and make sure everyone knows about um, the IG's office and the bias unit. So prior to joining the IG's office, I was an attorney with New York City Transit Authority, um, where I litigated Title VII and um, New York State Executive Law cases um, in both state and federal courts. And then prior to New York City Transit, I was an assistant attorney general for New York State in the Litigation Bureau. And I defended the state of New York, its officers and agencies in state and federal court um, in matters involving uh, Title VII, as well as uh, Section 1983 actions. Um, let's back so, up. Let's back up. Uh, Section 7 and 1983, for people who don't know what those are, could you explain them, please? Well, Title Seven is the federal statute that basically says you cannot discriminate against people based on race, uh, gender, uh, sex. And most recently, the Supreme Court has ruled this past summer, the Supreme Court has ruled that that has been extended to include sexual orientation. Um, so the executive law is the state counterpart to that, which also give those protections and provide additional protections to people based on, um, they've always uh, provided protection for sexual orientation, gender identity, um, and, you know, other categories. So those are the controlling laws that addresses uh, discrimination. Um, so I've been doing this kind of work since basically um, out of law school. Um, so it was a natural progression for me to continue with this work um, in the IG's office, you know, coming over from New York City Transit. So when I came, and I came to the court system in 1999, just a few months before Cheryl, mm -hmm. um, and started at that time, it was the Office of the Special Inspector General for Bias Matters. And so that office was created in 1998. Um, over the time, um, obviously the name has changed because it's no longer special, it's, it's no longer just um, investigated and then, you know, something new, but more so a continuation and a permanent office to address these kinds of um, bias. So I'll just tell you a little bit more about the kind of cases that we see and the jurisdiction of the office. So the allegations that we would investigate include sexual harassment um, and discrimination based on race, color, gender, disability, religion, creed, national origin, sexual orientation, gender identity or gender expression, marital status, um, and domestic violence status. So, and the office would also investigate any types of complaints of retaliation for engaging in any protected activity. 
Um, and in addition, just to point out, the office does have jurisdiction to investigate judges. Um, and as Cheryl mentioned, we have statewide jurisdiction. So we cover courts from Buffalo to Montauk, <laughs> to the far end. So pretty much all 62 counties in New York State, um, that's our jurisdiction. I'd like to follow up on something you said about investigating judges. Where does your jurisdiction end and the Commission on Judicial Conducts begin or vice versa? Maybe that's a Cheryl uh, question or maybe, I don't know which one it is, but <laughs> whichever well, one wants to answer it is fine. We can answer it together, but I, I'll start that we work in conjunction with the uh, Commission on Judicial Conduct and there is a free flow of information as far as case referrals go. They ultimately will make a decision concerning a judge, so they have the jurisdiction. However, um, their process is different than ours, and it is the responsibility of the court system to ensure that our employees are safe and are able to do their work without fear of harassment or retaliation. So if an allegation is made, for example, that a judge has sexually harassed a member of his or her staff, KN would investigate that to determine whether the complaint has been substantiated so decisions could be made for the safety of our staff and to do the appropriate thing prior to the Commission on Judicial Conduct beginning their investigation and then acting thereafter. So in that situation, KN would do her investigation first. And then the case would be referred to the commission for them to take whatever action they deemed was appropriate. I see. The commission, of course, can admonish, censure, or remove a judge. Um, my guess is you don't have correct. that jurisdiction, that authority, correct? That is correct. But we would have, um, after we did the investigation and KN wrote a confidential report, we would have contact with Chief Administrative Judge Marks concerning what our findings were so he could make whatever appropriate decision he determined. Okay. Now, um, where do you get cases from? Do you, do you need a, a complaint or a referral? Or can you um, uh, institute an investigation on your own? On your own. We get our complaints from a wide variety of places. We get a complaint from someone who wrote to the chief judge. We would get a complaint from the deputy chief administrative judge's office outside of New York City. In New York City, we get our complaints from um, the district executives, from chief clerks from the appellate division. We also get them from litigants who might write to us or call us or find us online and from court employees who would make a complaint directly to us. Could we open up? We, we also get referrals from outside agencies, for example, from, for example, the civilian um, complaint board might have a complaint against someone who thought the person was a police officer, but in fact, they were a court officer, so they might refer the case to us. Someone might have written to the state inspector general, um, but it's about a court employee, so they might refer a case to us. Uh, we work closely with district attorneys or the attorney general's office where appropriate. 
and every once in a while we might find a case in an article that we read in the newspaper. And, and I think I would add, too, that um, state law enforcement, whether it's NYPD or any local law enforcement who, um, you know, they there may be arrests or a situation where one of our employees was involved. Um, and obviously they would contact the IG's office to refer it over to us if it involves our employee. OK. Now, Kay and Cheryl mentioned that there are times when uh your office may, let's, let's say your office investigates a judge for some sort of bias and finds something, and then you can refer to the Commission on Judicial Conduct. So I, I think what you're saying is it works the other way as well. You might see a determination by the Commission on Judicial Conduct and say, hmm, that's something for us. Right, right. And, 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 and sometimes that has happened. Um, a lot of times our employees know that they can come to us first. And it's important because, you know, we have to take, we have a duty to take any ameliorative action to make sure that employees not further harm. We cannot leave that employee in a situation if they have complained to us that, you know, they're being sexually harassed or they're, you know, there's any sort of discrimination. Um, and that's what the commission cannot do because they're not um, their employees, they're court employees. So in that situation, whether it's a, a secretary or a court attorney makes that sort of complaint to us, we would immediately take action to remove that employee from um, that environment and um, during the pendency of the investigation. And at that point, after the investigation has been completed, we would make a determination, um, you know, what would happen in that situation. But in no instance would we, um, you know, leave that employee to continue working in that hostile work environment. I understand. Now, some of the things you investigate, I would imagine, are not only uh, inappropriate, but potentially criminal. And ha have there been times when you've referred a case to, I don't know, the district attorney, the U.S. attorney, whoever the appropriate agency would be? Yeah, yes, we do. Um, we have referred a case at the conclusion of our investigation, and um, depending on what occurs there, we might, for example, need to testify in the grand jury concerning our investigation. But not to complicate it, however, just to put in something if we're talking about criminal cases, our employees must cooperate with the IG's office, which means that they need to come in and um, provide information and be interviewed by us. What they say to us is protected because they would potentially lose their job if they didn't cooperate with us. So we would not send the information that we garnered from an interview to a prosecutor's office. I see. Now, um, that's giving you much more information than you asked for, but actually, I no, that, that's very helpful. But um, let's back up a step, uh, step and um, what what is the process? A complaint comes in, or you see something, then what? So. Um, why don't I start, Kayanne, and you jump in. Um, the first thing generally that we would do is interview the person who made the complaint. We 
in any other time would do that in person, um, have them come to our office, or if that was not possible, meet them at a district office, for example, or someplace else that they felt comfortable and safe. So that would be our initial interview. Uh, thereafter, we would conduct a series of interviews of other people who might have witnessed the incident or been told about the incident or had other information that would be relevant to the investigation. At the same time, we would review all relevant evidence. That could be a court file. It could be computer records. It could be Kronos records, someone's personnel file, letters that were sent social media, Kronos records, easy pass, a whole range of relevant documentation. Video, for example, um, if it exists in the courthouses, we would, we would review that also. That can be relevant in a case. Um, the, generally, the last person that we would interview would be the subject of the investigation. They would be informed that they were the subject. They are entitled to representation. Most of them come in with their unions, since most of our employees are members of unions. Some attorneys could also come in with a private, uh, or some employees might come in with a private attorney. At the conclusion of our investigation, we write a confidential report in which we analyze all of the information and all of the testimony, discuss the credibility of the witnesses, any documents that we've reviewed, and we would make a determination if the complaint was substantiated. And that confidential report would be sent either to one of the two deputy chief administrative judges, either at this point Judge Silver or Judge Caruso, or the OCA director if it involved an OCA employee. If, in fact, it did not involve one of our employees as the subject, then an appropriate referral would be made, possibly to the Commission on Judicial Conduct, or one of the disciplinary or grievance committees, or the appropriate prosecutor's office. And uh, the other referral could possibly be to another city agency. If something happened in our courthouse and either a city or state agency was uh, their employee was the subject, we would refer the case to them. And that is pretty much when it leaves our hands. The DCAJ or the OCA director would ultimately make the determination as to any potential discipline. Um, if discipline was appropriate, then charges would be prepared by counsel's office and ultimately a case might be settled or it might go to hearing. If a hearing is held, then a judicial hearing officer would hear the evidence and make a determination as to whether the matter was substantiated, make a recommendation as to potential discipline, and then the discipline itself, going all the way back to the beginning, still uh, rests in the hands of the DCAJ or the OCA director. I see. So, so you investigate and make a recommendation, but you can't fire an employee or remove a judge. That is correct. Okay. And just to add, John, um, as part of the process, so I think everyone understands, the, the process is confidential. So when we interview our witnesses, we tell them it's confidential. They should not discuss it. 
Uh, they should not disclose the fact that they were interviewed or um, that there is an investigation. And that is to make sure that we can complete the process. Um, and, you know, a lot of times when we start investigation and once other employees know about it, um, there, there could be some division in the office. So, you know, we, ensure, we tell people they should really not discuss it. Um, and whatever they tell us is confidential. The only person who will um, see their statements would be the administrative judge. In, in the case of the bias unit, my reports mm -hmm. first go to the administrative judge and then to the DCAJ. So those are the only persons who would see their statements. So they should feel comfortable knowing that uh, the complainant um, nor the subject will ever see what they tell us. So they should speak, you know, feel free um, to speak to us. Well, let's say the complainant is not a court employee. It's a member of the public who had a negative experience with a court employee or a judge or whatever. What steps do they follow? How, how, do, they, how do they initiate a complaint? They can send us a, a letter or fill out the complaint form that is available online. They could call our office and we are currently creating a position of ombudsperson as had been recommended by Mr. Johnson in his report, which will be a uh, senior administrative person in um, Kay's group who will be further trained, although she has been doing this very thing for years, to provide intake for complaints. So you mentioned the Johnson report, uh, referring, of course, to Jay Johnson's um, examination, which was commissioned by the chief judge. Kayanne, with, with all that you see in all these years, did anything in the Jay Johnson report uh, surprise or shock you? Um, you know, I've been doing this since 1999. So I've seen a lot over the years, you know, things that have surprised me. Um, I was not surprised by, you know, the fact that there is racial discrimination. I think, you know, it's something that we have worked on and we will continue to work on. What was surprising was that many of the employees indicated they were not aware of our office. Um, and, you know, the bias unit itself has been in, in existence since 1998. Um, and I have done many... Um, um, you know, programs. I used to do the sexual harassment training. And as part of that training, I would tell people, even though we're discussing sexual harassment, Title VII also includes um, protections based on race. So that was also part of the program. Um, and I've also um, done um, training for the new court officer recruits, where we discuss sexual harassment as well as racial discrimination. Um, so I was very surprised by that finding, but we are rectifying that. We are making sure that we're going to have more of a presence by doing this podcast mm -hmm. and by making sure our posters are displayed all over the courthouses and doing lunch and learns. And I'm available to speak with any group, um, any, um, 
offices to make sure that employees understand there is a place to go to address these types of issues. They should not feel that, you know, they have to suffer. Now, as, as I said at the out, outset, the Johnson Commission recommended a zero-tolerance policy, which uh, Chief Judge DeFiori and, and Chief Administrative Judge Marks immediately embraced. Does that uh, affect your office in any way? Um, not to the extent that there will be more work, but it doesn't affect because since 1998 we've been in existence, and I think that was the reason the office was created was because um, there was a need, obviously, and they wanted to make sure that there was a zero tolerance policy. I think we just have to continue to make sure our employees are properly trained. Um, they know that this is not going to be tolerated um, and that, you know, complainants know that there is an avenue to go and address this. So I think that the office's profile has increased um, since the recent events this summer. Um, but, you know, we're going to continue doing what we've always done, which is to investigate any allegations of bias and all complaints will be treated seriously. Um, and to make sure that employees know that there's an avenue to address these types of complaints. So I think what you're saying is that there, there already was a zero tolerance policy. What's happening now is uh, the chief judge and, and, and Judge Marks are saying, come on in. Right, right. And we're, 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 we're here. We want to hear it. We've been at the forefront of this for over 20 years since we, you know, since the office was created. And I think, you know, many other states probably don't have this type of office specifically to address um, employee complaints, um, you know, discrimination type complaints. Um, but we have been here for a while. Um, we've been in business um, and we'll continue to do what we've always done. I think that, you know, people just need, need to make sure that they know they can always come and file a complaint and know that it's going to be treated seriously and will be investigated thoroughly. Uh, great. Now, the chief judge often says that trust and confidence is the, the currency of the court system. How do your offices promote trust and confidence? And uh, Cheryl, maybe, maybe you could start and address the question generally. And KN, maybe you could approach it more specifically to you, uh, your unit, if you would. Yes, of course. Um, as we always say, when you do things for the right reason, it makes it easier to explain it afterwards. And all of the investigations that we conduct, we approach them with not the consideration of who has more power or who has the higher title or who has the bigger salary, but trying to assess the credibility of all of the witnesses and the subject that come before us. So people should all feel confident that we would consider uh, allegations against a judge in the same way that we would consider an allegation against a court assistant or a clerk or a court officer. And that's always the way that we've conducted our business, which is that we don't know the parties. We don't have a preconceived notion of, of who these people are. We don't think that any one group 
or one title has any more value than anyone else. So we're here to make an assessment about the facts of the particular case, which is what we say when we encourage the district executives, for example, to refer the cases to us and not do their own investigation because we don't have a sense of who these people are and we are open and interested in hearing what information people provide to us. And then to talk a little bit more about what KM was talking about with confidentiality is we try to keep every case as much confidential as we can. And while we counsel everyone who comes in that they should not talk about it, that we don't really have any control over, but we're not releasing the information to co-workers or to the press or to to anyone else. We're keeping the information confidential. I understand. Now, Kayanne, for uh, historic reasons, good historic reasons, um, the minority community did not have great trust and confidence in the court system. Uh, how does the work that you're doing help restore the, that trust or create that trust or build that relationship? Well, as an African-American woman myself, you know, I think I take these complaints seriously. Um, and I'm proud of the work that the office has done over the years to ensure that we are addressing um, these types of issues and we take it very seriously. Um, you know, we, we, we promote the office a lot and I want to make sure that everyone understand that, um, all the complaints that come in, it's investigated thoroughly and extensively. Um, we make sure that we review any documentation that will help us, um, to investigate the complaint. Um, and, you know, witnesses or, or, or complainants can, and even the subjects can, um, you know, forward to us any documentation that will help us to resolve these complaints. But, you know, everyone should make sure that they understand this office exists to ensure that um, employees will work in a bias-free environment. That's our goal is, to, you know, to make sure everyone understands that. And in doing so, complainants and witnesses should feel comfortable knowing that there is a no retaliation policy. If you speak with us, um, you know, feel free that you will not be retaliated against or, you know, any fear of reprisal. Um, that will not happen. So, you know, we encourage everyone, you know, to come forward if you see something, if you overhear um, something that's inappropriate or offensive, you can report it up, report it to us, even though you may not be the actual, um, who the, who the, the comment was directed at, you should feel that, you know, comfortable knowing that if you do overhear a comment, please report it to us. Or if you see something happening to someone else, you know, report it to us as well. Hey, and thank you. And thank you, Cheryl. And thank both of you for the really important work you're doing on behalf of the court system. Thank you. Thank you, John.